Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Business Leader Insights uh, brought to you today by our presenting sponsor, Perplex Marketing. Business Leader is the UK's leading B2B uh, media platform and has a print magazine, powerful live and virtual events network and a website that is updated daily with news and insights. So let's uh, begin with the interview. Uh, good to have you with us today, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good to be here. Good stuff, thank you. Well, to kick off, um, you'll be familiar with uh, a lot of our audience, but for those you don't know who don't know you, Steve, can you just give a brief overview to your background and career? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I'm. I started off my life as a clinician. I was a podiatrist and then a foot surgeon. Uh, practiced in the NHS and then came into academe. Uh, started to do research and teaching and clinical work. I worked in uh, industry with uh, Unichem and Boots for a while and Scholl and did some research around product design uh, and then came full-time into uh, education and then became uh, a lecturer, senior lecturer, head of department, then dean and then uh, a vice-chancellor. So quite a rapid uh, progression through. I was the youngest VC in the country when I was appointed um, and I happened to be appointed to the largest, one of the largest universities. Um, and I've kept um, uh, a foot in, 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 in effect in both the NHS camp, education and business. And I keep those three things balanced and going uh, even now. Uh, th thank you, Steve. Um, and just uh, to, to start off by talking about the university, how have you responded as an organisation to the COVID-19 pandemic? So the university, as you can imagine, it's it's a bit like running a small town. We have everything from, you know, 4,000 students living on campus right the way through to retail and sport, leisure, uh, as well as the academic and research side. So it is quite a big uh, entity. When we took the decision to uh, follow the government's uh, uh, in interactions and advice, we closed the university and we had to flip within a 24-hour window to deliver everything online. So that was our business support uh, with business communities as well as our support for students and staff. And that um, went incredibly well. Um, of course, we didn't get everything right and there were lots of compromises in terms of people not having the right kit in the right places. But nevertheless, the staff uh, and students have been tremendous in that crisis period, um, really, which has been running uh, until about two, three weeks ago when we started to flip into working on recovery and working through what the next three, six months might look like as a university. Yeah, brilliant, um, Steve. Thanks for that. I mean, mo moving on to talk about uh, leadership. How, how have you personally had to adapt as a leader during this time? I've had to do a lot more of this stuff, that's for sure. <laughs> a lot more Q&As uh, for staff. Um, I've had to learn very quickly how to use the different platforms. Um, so uh, immediately moving online for all of our meetings uh, and structuring them in a way that works within this uh, environment. Um, getting very clear about how we manage and mitigate risks. Uh, if you can imagine very early on, we were looking at how do we repatriate staff and students from across the globe and get them back safely, as well as dealing with the local uh, students and staff. Um, so I've learned, I guess, how to move at pace. I've learned how to make informed decisions on evidence, uh, but very fast. Uh, we've also had to ensure that we've 
thought about the governance around the university and making sure that we don't ignore um, good governance and also we don't ignore uh, the ways in which we capture information and in our decision making so that we can go back and look at any point in time and say well why did we make that decision uh, what, what drove us in that direction the other thing i guess is just the humanity that uh, we really need to place right at the top of everything that we're doing so making sure that we're thinking about mental health and well-being of staff and students and being human throughout this there's a lot there was a lot of fear there was a lot of uncertainty uh, a lot of people wanting answers immediately and of course all of that puts pressure on leadership teams to to uh, engage and communicate very effectively and sometimes it's also about leaders saying look we don't have the answer to that yet we're working it through and we will be able to say something uh, sensible maybe in one or two days time and just making sure you've got control of the situation what leadership needs to be able to demonstrate is an empathy obviously with uh, those that you're working with but also to deliver a calmness to deliver uh, that feeling of yes okay it, this is really dreadful and it's difficult but actually we'll work our way through it together and we'll get through this the minute you start to lose control and you start seeing you know bits of an organization flying off in other directions then you've got a real problem so the leadership agenda for me was about clarity it was about being authentic it was about being very honest and it was about saying look here's the evidence we're working with and these are the decisions that we're making at this moment in time and of course the situation will keep changing over time uh, and making sure that people understood that and also giving clearly vehicles whereby people could could ask questions uh, and engage and that's not just about me that's about how we get the whole of the university leadership team to do the same to follow the same principles um, and we're now obviously moving into a phase where that's even more important as we start to plan for the next six six months or so thank you steve you you, you mentioned mental health there i mean on a personal level how do you keep mentally resilient during such a difficult time considering you know the, the pressure you have of thousands of students and employees you know being under your responsibility so as you probably know i lead quite a lot of work nationally on on mental health and well-being within the university sector and have done for four or five years now the important thing is to talk and the important thing is to make sure that you create the space uh, and time for you to have those conversations and I'll, I'll share something which which I shared really with staff last week in the university. I got a question that came in in a similar sort of environment to this, and they asked me exactly the same question. And I said, look, you know, this is the first time any of us have been through this. And of course, I have my down, down moments as well as my up moments. And the other week I was cutting the grass, uh, which is my way of sort of just completely zoning out. And um, my son came up to me and he said, Dad, you look really sad and you're crying. Why are you crying? And I said, well, it's just that everything we're trying to do is moving so fast. And I'm looking for answers and I'm trying to make sure that we, we, we support everyone in the university. And that just for that moment just hit me and overwhelmed me. Um, and we'll all have those moments. And I said to the staff that you, you will have them in your places and ways and you, and you have to work through it and talk and talk about it uh, and share it. And so that's the important bit for me. 
is not to not to assume that you're the only one feeling perhaps sometimes a bit anxious it's across everybody and we are in times that none of us have ever experienced before so we're going to get those feelings make sure you talk to people uh, and explore uh, how to get through them um, and of course you know they those those feelings come and go in waves so nothing to be uh, uh, nothing to hide we're all the same share it uh, th thank you for, for for sharing that that insight there there Steve now uh, back to the interview um, thank you again Steve I'm just moving away uh, from leadership and, and back to UE as an organization what are the plans in regards to getting back to some kind of normality now Complex, I think, is is the short answer. But the reality is, we, we we're having to find a way of uh, re-engaging staff and students uh, in an environment where we've got still lots of unknowns. So um, the university is quietly working through all of the health and safety checks to open parts of the university. The priority for us to begin with is our research labs and getting our researchers back onto the university campus. Um, and that's work that's ongoing at the moment. So we hope um, uh, in the beginning of June to be able to open up parts in a COVID secure way to allow the research to continue. Um, and then the second part is to make sure that we're able to open parts of the university where we give access to staff and students to finish um, their degrees. Lots of our provision is related to healthcare, for example, and there are some assessments and exams that we need to uh, undertake, which are difficult to do online. Um, they are clinical type exams, and therefore we want to open those parts of the university uh, in a safe way. And then we'll slowly start to think through how we bring back the rest of the university where we need to. One of the big lessons that we've learned is there's an awful lot we can do um, with people working from home. Providing we can get them the right equipment and the right support, lots of staff are giving us feedback that are just telling us, look, this is working for us. This is really great. Uh, and how can we continue to continue with this? Um, and so we're, we're sensitive to that and we're working through that. I don't think necessarily we should be thinking about how do we get back to where we were? Because where we were, let's be honest, uh, didn't necessarily work. So lots of adaption think is positive and we can build on it. Um, the big challenge for us, I guess, is how we accommodate social distancing. Now, we've got office environments and we can manage those reasonably well, but it, we've also got lab spaces, studios, skills laboratories, uh, and then we've got, of course, the student accommodation. So if we think longer term, how the university then operates, what we're having to do is to think very carefully about what things can we deliver to students online? What things do we need the students to come in for? Access to specialist labs being one example, skills laboratories being another, studios for our creative industry sectors. And how can we manage that? Respecting social distance, ensuring that we're COVID secure as an organization and as a facility, and making sure that, that we are in effect helping people to return in a safe way, but also being honest, nobody, uh, I think, can say we've covered everything and we are completely safe. That's just not how life is. That's never how life has been. And there are risks. And are we mitigating those risks to the best of our ability is the honest conversation. And I think that's one that society has to have as well, because 
Otherwise, we're all going to just stay locked up. And that is not a solution. We have to learn how to adapt and then move forward. So for me, the big, obviously the big agenda at the moment is come September, October, what offer can I, can, what sort of education offer do we have for our students uh, who are returning or joining the university for the first time? And the answer to that is it's going to be different. There's going to be some stuff that clearly is going to be delivered online. So the old lecture, uh, which some of us will be familiar with, is going to be delivered online. But tutorials and seminars where we have much smaller groups and where we have skills facilities that need to be engaged with, we'll work with smaller groups, we'll provide the social distance. But it's going to be a different experience and we have to be honest about that. Um, and of course, at any moment, and this is the reality for every organisation at the moment, at any moment, we may need to lock down again. So if that OR number starts to shift again, either locally, regionally or nationally, we're going to have to go back uh, because we don't have a vaccine. We're unlikely to have a vaccine now for a while. Uh, and although the treatments might be more effective, we're still carrying that risk. So I think for me, uh, we're going through all of that work to make sure that we can systematically bring people back when it's safe to do so. But we're also recognising that for a large proportion of staff, it is going to be continuing to work from home for the foreseeable future. Well, thanks, Steve. Um, and just, just finally, I mean, can you talk to us about the construction of the Nightingale Hospital? I mean, what, what was it like to be involved in a, in a project like that? So it was um, a, an incredible project, an unbelievable project that started with a site meeting on the 26th of March, where I got a phone call um, and was required to go down and show our exhibition centre, 4,000 square metre space. Um, and the army and logistics came in, NHS came in and said, yeah, we think this could work. On the 27th of March, the day later, Kia construction arrived, uh, architects arrived, and then really for the next uh, uh, two and a half, three weeks, it was full on. Um, the whole building was transformed into a 300 bed intensive care unit. Uh, it's fully ventilated. Uh, it's just having some modifications so that we can also do dialysis uh, for 120 of those beds. And it's a facility that's going to be there for the remainder, I suspect, for probably another nine, ten months. So over the winter period. Um, logistically, it was an incredible project. Um, uh, the statistics in there are amazing. I mean, uh, just the sheer volume of work that had to be done. Two and a half miles of copper pipe went in two days before it opened to provide suction um, to every bedhead. Uh, and we then also, at the same time as we're being built, the university trained 400 staff to be able to go and support the Nightingale Hospital. So we were putting them through skills training. Some of them were from the army, some of them were volunteers, some of them were uh, clinicians, vets and dentists and all sorts of people coming to be trained to be able to work inside the Nightingale. And of course that continues, that, that, that's a project that is developing and, it, and will change over time, but it's a facility that's there and can be switched on uh, whenever we need it. At the moment, there are no patients in there, um, but as we see spikes emerging, which is you know, very possible, we have that facility. And that facility serves from Yeovil, Taunton, 
uh, right the way up to Gloucestershire, right the way out to Wiltshire, and then of course the Bristol uh, circuit. So it's supporting seven, eight acute trusts, and they're all working in a network uh, to make sure that people are are supported and cared for when they need it. Thanks, Steve. I mean, a, a, a huge project and a, a great example of a, a, a collaborative effort there from all involved. So, yeah, hats yep. off, to you, Steve, for, for for your involvement in that. Um, thank you um, for for uh, answering those questions. We're now going to take uh, some questions from our audience. Um, the first one in is uh, from uh, Jim, and it's what's the best advice you can give to students leaving education during the pandemic? So this is the group of students who I think are um, going to find it quite tough. The students who are just graduating. Uh, because many of the opportunities that they thought they were going to uh, are not necessarily there. So my advice to them is to start to think about how they can develop their CVs in a way that's of interest to potential employers. The university is also going to be offering support for those students. Um, we, we will be running small um, opportunities for them to potentially start a postgraduate programme online, which again may help their um, CVs if they're not in employment uh, and also to think about how we might develop their entrepreneurial skills further. The important thing I think uh, in this period is for them to understand that they're not necessarily going to get the job of their dreams because of the economy and because of the way in which the economy is going to be switched on. They may have to be more flexible than they thought they wanted to be, that's the first thing. The second thing is do please access the careers advice within universities. Uh, that careers advice is also supported by advice, often through local enterprise partnerships uh, for business organisations, um, around the career routes and pathways, uh, and never to give up hope. This is going to go away. This is going to be resolved, and we will get back to uh, a new, I guess, a new normal, slightly reset. Um, and, and the last thing that we need are these graduates, hugely talented people coming out from universities and colleges that, that, that uh, can't see beyond the next few months. And it's important that they do because we will need them. We will need their talent. We will need their skills. And we will absolutely need their courage to help us through this next bit. So my advice is it may be a bit bumpy to start with, but it's going to get better. Uh, and stay in touch. Oh, thanks, Steve. A uh, second question that, that's coming. Uh, do you think the crisis will encourage a boom in working from home or freelance work? I think working from home, absolutely. And it's probably going to be a blend of working at home uh, and then potentially in, in environments where that's possible. Um, freelance, yes, we can certainly see that in the creative industry sectors already. That's been a trend that's been there for a while. Uh, but also other sectors, I think, are beginning to work out anything that's office based, anything that is office based uh, can be done at home. We've proved that and we've proved just how um, engaging that can be through these sorts of events, but also through the technologies, which are much better than they used to be. And providing we've got really good um, Internet connections and, and that is a challenge in parts of the country and the local enterprise partnerships and the combined authorities need to be investing in that infrastructure. We need that infrastructure around uh, internet connectivity to make it possible for people to flexibly work from home. 
Um, and that, of course, is a positive because that reduces our carbon footprints and it starts to ease traffic congestion, all those other things that are, that are real positives. So I'm seeing, I'm saying, yes, I think it is going to become more the norm. Um, for some people, of course, we also have to recognise that their home environment is just not suitable for working in that environment. There are all sorts of reasons why people might prefer to be in uh, an office type space. Um, mental health and well-being being one of them, but also let's face up to some other uncomfortable truths. You know, for, for many organisations, that home environment for staff isn't safe. There's domestic violence, there's childcare issues, how you balance all of this is really important. And as employers, we have to get into that space to understand how best to support our staff. So I think it is gonna be something that we'll see more of, but we need to support staff to be able to do it. And we need to respect where it's just not possible for that to happen and we have to adapt. No, thank you, Steve, some, some interesting uh, in, insights there. Um, Interesting question here. What's the best thing a person can do to help out during the crisis, in your, in your opinion? Um, well, there's two bits to this, I think. Uh, uh, individuals need to try and structure their, their, their day, their working day, however it works for them in all of that balancing, to try and ensure that, they're, that they have a routine. We need routines as, as people. To help out in a crisis, the best thing, I guess, that we look for are people to ask um, how they can help or come with solutions. Um, in, a, in a crisis, what you're often moving at pace and you're often moving very quickly to make fast decisions. Uh, and it's important that we as leaders understand that actually we might, you know, we may be four or five steps, hopefully, ahead of everyone else, but we've got to bring everybody with us. So having people who just say, hang on a second, can you explain that to me? What does that mean? Is really important for a leader because it keeps us grounded and it keeps us connected with the people that we're trying to support. So ask the questions, put forward solutions. Um, don't do what the press do, which drives me insane, which is ask the same question over and over and over again. Get the same responses and still insist on asking the same questions. And you see it every night. Uh, with the PM questions slots. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. And um, yeah, what is one fact about you that people may not be able to find online, Steve? The one fact? Oh, right. Um, Sorry, it's a bit, spot there. It's a bit random. Um, I, I love scuba diving. Okay. And, and I would really love to be away somewhere scuba diving where under the water it's completely calm usually if it's not calm you're in trouble and then uh, i can completely relax that's what i love to do uh, nice well thank you that that's the the questions that, that we had time to take uh from the audience that's some great uh questions there and yeah i thought it was a really interesting interview i just want to say thank you again um steve i mean do you have any final thoughts um just before we go no i think my only final thought is is keep, keep, keep aware, keep following the advice and make sure that we don't get ourselves into a space where we have to lock down again. And it will be down to us. We're the ones that can make it happen or not.